Now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. Absolutely fantastic! Hello and welcome to Box to Box, the show that is everything football. You're with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley to run the rule over the past week in the world game. First edition news with Willem van Dender and shortly... But throughout the show, our former ITN journo turned pundit will not be here. He's taking a seat on the bench. He's off skiing, so Willem is going to fill in for all of those gaps, particularly in stoppage time. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we previewed the women's Euros with the Athletics' Nancy Frostick and fully expected the tournament would be a success with a half a million tickets sold before kickoff. But to say this event has been a breakthrough for the game would be an understatement. And equally, it's been off the back of the performance of the Lionesses performing in front of a rapturous home crowd in England. And in a repeat of that iconic Men's World Cup final of 1966, the scriptwriters have their perfect outcome with the home side facing the might of the eight times champions, Germany, at Wembley this coming Sunday. We've been loving it, especially with the knowledge that the Women's World Cup is heading our way next year. And we know that Nancy has been too. So really looking forward to a chat with her shortly. Socceroos and Matilda's Central with Willem after that. Then in a double header from our favourite digital publication with the Scottish Premiership kicking off this weekend, we'll talk to Jordan Campbell also from The Athletic and previously not only the title defence of Ange Postacoglu's Celtic, but more importantly, we'll preview the significant presence of the Socceroos candidates lining up in the competition this season as they vie for selection in Graham Arnold's Qatar squad. Of course, we'll wrap it up with everything else in stoppage time, but it's a bumper show again this week, Edge. But mate, how much have you been enjoying the Euros, the women's Euros? Uh, it's been fantastic, Rob, and um, uh, you know a lot of focus on the impact of the Lionesses and England's run. Um, but I'll tell you what, Germany has only conceded one goal in the entire tournament and they're looking ominous. Uh, could they be the party poopers? Uh, could they actually uh, be another another England-Germany um, classic uh, that have, uh, have Germany's upset the Poms many times before, Rob, and uh, the stage is set for Germany to do it uh, on home soil again. So uh, it's going to be a remarkable final. Two teams that have really taken all before them throughout the tournament and uh, I'm looking forward to it. Or even the party poppers. Uh, I saw a stat earlier that Alexandra Pop, the German striker who's uh, who's uh, up against Beth Mead for the golden boot of the tournament, hadn't scored for nearly a thousand days up until the tournament and was only in the uh, the starting lineup for the first team because of COVID and, and has been amazing. I mean, she was uh, a, a titan in that game against France, wasn't she? I mean, Willem, I know you've been watching it as well. Um, Breakthrough, I think you know the crowds, the response, the and the media coverage as well. I think um, is one thing that I've really noticed this time uh, has has treated this tournament with the you know the stature that it deserves. It feels like it, Robin. There's also been the clear air of this being in terms of the European summer, the only major tournament going on. Um, two equally thrilling, very different, but equally thri- equally thrilling semi-finals. I thought England four 0 over Sweden in Sheffield. Beth Mead, as you mentioned, extending her lead atop the Golden Boot, and then. Uh, Alexandra Pop, captain of Germany, matching her. She needed to score twice for them to get past uh, twice to get past France. Let's have a listen to that goal now. Commitment here is the sole reason we haven't seen more goals, really. Nancy Frostick, not too far away, Rob, to discuss this all in a bit more depth. But 87,000 tickets sold for the final at Wembley. It's going to be a sellout. Uh, It feels to me like it's the Lionesses to lose. They seem to have capitalised having knocked out Spain and maybe that was the escape act. And from there, they've gone on and put four past Sweden. Uh, But Germany, eight-time finalists, eight-time winners... Uh, you wouldn't rule them out. Well, no way in the world could you. I mean, uh, that, uh, who do they? Uh, they don't seem to be able to score in second half. So, but uh, the, even the goal that they they did score was uh, was one, you know sort of one of those freak ones, wasn't it? Really, where uh, um, even though uh, 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 Mill Froms had uh, had been uh, outstanding for France uh, throughout the 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 goal that um, that bounced off the bar. And then off her back was um, was the one that uh, that equalised just before half time. So you know um, uh, uh, the uh, uh, the goalkeeping performances of this tournament have been excellent. I know Edge, you you've talked about that um, in the past, but uh, the, uh, the the athletic nature of the goalkeepers uh, has been a real highlight. It has, Rob, and um, it's been it's one area in the women's game that's made uh, exponential 
uh, improvement over the past sort of five to ten years has been the quality of the goalkeeping. It was always a um, it was always a, a challenge um, for a lot of uh, elite women's football. Some of the substandard goalkeeping were probably um, you know holding the 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 quality of the games back. But but now that's not the case. The goalkeepers are well and truly taking centre stage and uh, having huge impact in matches as we saw. Uh, in that match between England and, uh, sorry, in the match between France and Germany. Domestically, the A-League men's fixtures are out. The campaign's going to kick off with a grand final rematch between Western United and Melbourne City. That one will be on October 7. Round one's also going to feature an F3 derby and a big blue to reopen the new Sydney football stadium. Michael, Sydney FC fans are going to have to wait until round six to throw snakes at Milos Ninkovic. That's also going to be the final round before the competition uh, resumes post-work. Wellington are going to enjoy consecutive matches home after spending so long on the road the past couple of years, while the traditional Christmas derby also remains in place December 17. Just caught your eye from the fixture list, Michael. I think perhaps MacArthur against Brisbane Raw would have been the least or one of the lesser noble games from that round one, but the signing of Daniel Arzani will mean there'll be probably a few more eyeballs on that one. Certainly will be. Arzani, that's an interesting signing by MacArthur. Um, in the last chance saloon, Daniel Arzani, um, you would have thought that he's no chance to make the soccer risk squad not figuring in anything significantly throughout the course of the qualification campaign, but uh, probably undeserved based on his form in Europe of recent times. Last season's cellar dwellers, Perth Glory, have a new uh, chief executive officer. Anthony Radich is his name and he's going to start immediately following the resignation of Tony Pinata. Radich returns to the club five years uh, after five years with the NBL's Perth Wildcats, where he was their commercial general manager. Prior to that, he held a similar position with the glory. Perth begin their first season under Ruben Zadkovic full-time with a trip to Western Sydney on October 9, Rob. So they, along with Wellington, uh, probably more so than any other club, are going to be relieved that it looks like from this point we're going to have a standard season, a COVID-free season, hopefully uh, your 10 to 12 home games interspersed evenly with trips away and not those long stretches in the bubble. You know, if there was one club other than um, than, uh, New Zealand, uh, the Wellington Phoenix, of course, that suffered most it was it was really Perth, and and you know a lot of uh, a, a lot of players. Um, you know the uh, the fact that that uh, Ruben Zadkovic um, uh, even got his gig would have to be attributed to uh, you know the the, the problems that uh, that fell that club during the, the course of COVID. So uh, yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how they uh, reset and and go forward. Uh, with some consistency. And Michael, if we could just reflect on the departure of Tony Pinata, perhaps came as a little bit of a shock. Uh, had a big four years there at Perth, came over as one of the big name recruits off the field to form the three Tonys, if you like, with Tony Sage and Tony Popovich. And they scaled the heights there, couldn't quite lift the toilet seat, but did lift the Premier's plate and uh, lifted silverware in general for the first time uh, in a long time. So that's going to be uh, some big boots to fill for Anthony Radich. Oh, certainly. Um, Tony Pinata is a very experienced uh, football administrator and He's been as uh, the CEO at a um, you know some big profile A League clubs, so it'll be interesting to see uh, what uh, path his career takes from this point on. But um, pro- probably Tony being part of um, the regime that you mentioned, it uh, it's uh, it's come to an end and it's time for a new start. And Anthony Radich uh, is a, a big personality around the glory. Um, he's um, had a a lot to do with the club over not only his time previously working there, but prior to that as well so I think it's a good local appointment and you know we'll see how the glory bounce back but just echoing Rob's words uh, other than Wellington Phoenix the glory had an incredibly tough time throughout uh, the the COVID uh, pandemic uh, seasons spending you know big big chunks of time away from Perth and and obviously we covered in great detail uh, the shock when um Richie Garcia was unceremoniously sacked. Uh, we, we thought that was a, a most unfair decision based on the amount of time that they'd been away from Perth around that. But uh, that is done and Perth move on and um, they should be a team that uh, that is vying for not only the finals but the championship based on the squad they put together and uh, the type of outlook that that club always has being a one-team town. And before we turn our attention back to the Women's Euros and welcome in Nancy Frostick, I want to touch on the Australia Cup. Victorian NPL sides have made a, a brilliant start in particular on the national stage. Four entrants have advanced to the round of 16. They are Oakley Cannons, Avondale, Green Gully and Bentley. While Heidelberg, Edge might have dreamed of joining them at one point as they drew level with the Raw 
uh, from the spot. Costa Petrados uh, into the box, earning a penalty and sealing it. It wasn't to be. They ran out 3-1 winners the Raw, but that really was the best of the cup uh, down at Olympic Village on Wednesday evening. Yeah, competitive game from my burgers. They did uh, embarrass themselves by any stretch of the imagination. They were very good and uh, very competitive. And at uh, different times of the game, they could have had... Um, a little bit more impact on the scoreboard. Willem couldn't they hit the bar twice. Uh, Marlon Roberts missing a, a head of close range that he got good connection. And Sean Ellis, uh, the redhead, who's such a fantastic player, been a, a real stalwart for Heidelberg, uh, struck a beautiful volley but uh, hit, uh, hit the crossbar. So uh, they were probably a little bit unlucky not to uh, be more in that game uh, later, but uh, it just proves again the, the gap... Um, Mulianzik's free kick, I think, was a, was a beautiful goal yep. and um, not many people would have stopped that. And uh, Brisbane go on and the Burgers, they get to lick their wounds and um, and have a crack at next season. All right, well, well done. Um, you've mentioned Nancy a couple of times and uh, I've been communicating with her during the week. I don't know whether anybody's been looking at uh, um, her, uh, her social media profile, but she is uh, just a, a case in point of uh, a professional football journalist who is super excited about the uh, the women's Euros in general, not just the performance of the English side in the tournament and uh, the perfect final has occurred for the organisers for those in England to that they're going to be playing the old enemy Germany at Wembley in a final of a major tournament. It's just incredible. So we'll talk to Nancy about all of that next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Now, as we said off the top of the show, England are riding a wave of national euphoria. It's clear to see in the stands and from the media reporting on the Euros that the bad memories of the result of the men's Euros and crowd behaviour are being erased by a new style of fan who is clearly there for the joy of the experience rather than a drug and alcohol fuel party. And our friend from The Athletic, Nancy Frostick, who we talked to after the opening game, she's joined us again to well look at what we've seen so far and preview what's going to be an incredibly exciting final ahead this coming Sunday. Welcome back to the show, Nancy. Thanks for having me, guys. It's a pleasure. And so, Nancy, you've been in the stadiums. I've been watching your social media as we go. Uh, uh, the uh, the Spain game, it, it looked like uh, Serena Wigman was standing there uh, like the ice lady that she is. Uh, she seemed to have it all under control. But from the point of view of those of us observing on the television, and I'm sure people in the stands were thinking, OK, Nancy, please pull the rabbit out of your hat. There's only less than 10 to here and we're going to get kicked out of this tournament. How nervous were you when, when uh, that final 10 minutes of that game were taking place? Um, it wasn't a pretty fight. It was a mess. Uh, <laughs> I think, um, yeah, I don't think we played that well against Spain. But, I mean, luckily, Serena Wigman is like, you know, always the coolest person in the place, clearly believes in her plan. And, you know, she doesn't really... You can never really see worry on her face or anything, but obviously when England score and when they've won, I think she did sort of, you know, shout into the camera at the end of, um, at the end of that game because it was a bit of a, a bit of an uphill battle. So, um, yeah, we we managed that. Um, Georgia Stanway's rocket certainly helps. Um, and then yeah, I was there on Tuesday night for the semi final as well, and I just like this is as good as it gets for us really um, as England fans. I mean, last summer was was pretty special, but. Um, but this, I don't know, it just feels a bit different. Well, it does for plenty of reasons. Uh, we're going to obviously talk about the the, the, uh, the competition on Sunday and the games. But I, for one, was um, one of the doubters uh, going into that game against Sweden, second team in the world. They'd beaten the Americans in the Olympics and, uh, and uh, you know, have a, a, an incredible uh, history going back decades uh, that funnily enough, haven't won a tournament since 1984, the Swedes. But uh, I, I guess the entire game was, apart from the, the early stages where Sweden really had some opportunities and just didn't take them, but uh, it, it, it's all encapsulated in that that incredibly cheeky, and I've heard described as filthy, backheel by uh, <laughs> Alessia Russo um, in that 4 win. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny because being there, you know, in the stadium, and, I, and I, again, I wasn't in the press box for this one, so I was just in amongst the fans. Even though Sweden had those good chances early on, it just never really felt like we were going to lose. And it's very rare that, like, I would ever say that about a football match because, you know, I've seen way too many go wrong, um, especially with England, to know that you can sort of have that confidence. But um, 
Mary Earps has just been immense um, in goal and she pulled off a couple of really important saves. And I don't know, it just felt like whatever they might have found at us, we had the answers. So, um, and when you've got players, you know, playing out of their skin in the form of their lives, like Alessi Russo, I mean, she's been the most amazing sub to come off the bench. She probably deserves to start, but then you've got a legend in Ellen White up front as well. So that's been a bit of a sort of talking point, but I mean, she's coming on, having a massive impact. And yeah, I mean, I think Abby Wambach tweeted um, to say that that's the sort of goal that she would, she's dreamed of scoring her whole career and she never managed it. So um, yeah, it's, uh, it was an unbelievable finish and everyone was, I don't think we knew what to do um, when that went in because you were just like, how has she just pulled that off? So there was a, a lot of disbelief amongst the kind of madness of celebrating that one. Nancy, I want you to um, think back to 2019. Uh, I was in the stadium in Lyon when I saw the most epic contest between the United States and England in a World Cup semi-final. And England, for me, on that night, were very unlucky. Um, has that match helped shape the future of this group of players in terms of uh, creating a steely desire to prove their worthiness on the on the international stage. Um, I was just so taken by the commitment of the team that night that um, I just felt that there is, there is moments in a evolution of a playing group and that might have been one of them. Uh, do, you, do you think about that day often and what's happened since then? Yeah, I think... Um... You know, it was on my mind all of Tuesday before kickoff because, you know, this team of obviously they've reached a Euros final before in 2009 where we lost quite heavily to Germany. But apart from that, you know, the semi-finals is, is the best we've done. And to do it for four tournaments in a row, obviously now we've gone beyond in this fourth one, but um, was a massive sort of statement and, and really has got loads of people that previously weren't interested in women's football on board. Um, but that was the question I suppose is whether they had it in them to go on further and just be that bit more ruthless and finish off those chances and stop making those mistakes um, defensively because that's kind of what's undone us in in all of those semis that we stopped unfortunately um, and they just looked calm they just looked assured I didn't at any point think oh god we're going to have some sort of defensive howler or miss a penalty or something that's going to come back to haunt us so I think that can only come from the experience of you know repeatedly reaching that point and also teams like Chelsea reaching the Champions League final. I know that didn't go well for them, but, you know, a lot of players in the England squad have been part of that team. Um, you've got a lot of experienced players like Lucy Bronze or Ellen White, who they will probably carry that with them. You know, Lucy Bronze particularly is a absolute machine. She loves to win. She's got that mentality of, you know, someone at the very top of the game. And I don't think she'll have kind of let that go. Um, you know, it will be a personal thing for them, like a, a vendetta almost. It doesn't matter who we'd have played in that semi-final, but um, they just play, played, the way they played on, the, on, on Tuesday night. It was like they they were proving something to themselves, but sort of like they had to just get that monkey off their back and, you know, absolutely bury Sweden. Like there, were, there was no room for them to breathe. Um and I can only think, yeah, that comes from that. And a bit of what Serena Vegans brought as well. It's definitely a different... We've talked about like being more arrogant as a team or um, being more clinical as a team uh, for this England squad for a few years. Um, and it was never quite executed in the right way under Phil Neville. But under Serena Vegman, it's just it's just relentless. We didn't sit back when it was 1-0. Um, so that was, that was really exciting to watch. Tell us about the impact of the England run in this tournament for women's football in England. What has been the general public's reaction? And is uh, every day that goes by, uh, all the narratives or the stories, the, the, the newspapers, the news feeds, the general uh, engagement of the wider English community, um, just can you describe for the listeners here in Australia... Um, how that momentum's been building and the impact of the team's performances um, in the general community. Um, and is there just a grand swell of love and support for this team? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, it, I don't know if it's the same for you guys, but typically, you know, interest has peaked for England around major tournaments and then sort of struggle a bit um, 
during the the rest of the season, you know, to kind of retain that interest. But it does feel different this time. Maybe it's because it's a home tournament and I hope this will happen the same um, for the World Cup next year for you. But before Tuesday and and obviously Wednesday morning yesterday, they had front and back pages of the papers, front and back, not a tiny little snippet at the top of the back page, um, which is absolutely mad. You know, the tickets, they sold out already for the final, but... There's people reselling them for obscene amounts of money, which isn't good. We, you know, we don't like ticket touts, but also there's clearly that demand in that market there where people are so on board with this now that, you know, that's how valuable um, it is to be in, in the stadium on Sunday. Um, and yeah, everyone's on board. We've had, you know, players from Manchester United were there on Tuesday night watching, um, which is just, you know, I think that's just a nice show of support. Um and yeah, there's kids that are like have signed up to football clubs. They're having to launch now two, three teams for next season because of the number of girls, particularly I think around Manchester in the northwest. I've heard um, where you know they've had that much interest from girls that they're having to launch more teams basically than they they currently have just because so many kids want to get involved. Um, and it is just amazing. There's little things as well. Like I was driving up the motorway to. One of the games at Lee, I did play that play matches, and you know, on the M6, major motorway, on the overhead, uh, like information sign, um, they had like women's euros use junction 23 or whatever. Mm-hmm. Which, considering it's a game that wasn't involving England, the fact that there would be enough fans and you know, enough foresight to put something like that over, like it's such a small thing and it sounds really. I don't know, banal because it's like a motorway sign. But it just it just made me think, oh my God. Because when I was a kid, like, you know, 2005, we hosted the Euros. You wouldn't have known, you did know it was happening, but only if you probably had an interest in women's football. Whereas now it's just, you know, it's everywhere. You can't escape it. And uh, yeah, it's brilliant. Well, one thing you can't escape is the footballing rivalry between England and Germany. And they're there waiting for you. It must, it must be uh, well and truly in the front of every English football fan's minds is that they're there again and they could be, excuse the pun, there might be a party popper. She's been amazing. <laughs> She's been incredible, hasn't she? And um, mm. she's just carried that team and... Uh, she's there as well. They're waiting. What can you tell us about Germany? I mean, they've only conceded one goal for the entire tournament. Um, they've sort of snuck under the radar to certain extents because there's been so much focus on the Lionesses. But uh, you must respect them and mm. you must be a little bit worried about what's waiting for you in the final. Terrified. I'm nervous already. Um, and that's not to say that I wouldn't have been scared if it was France either, but I think it's just that added layer of history and they've won this competition eight times and it's just kind of what they do they just steamroller everyone you know in their path sort of thing um and pop like you say is in form she's a handful um although i I kind of hope with millie bright at the back we'll be able to handle um handle that sort of aerial threat a bit better maybe than france did although they had wendy renard so you know (laughs) she's like six foot two and, and they didn't manage to stop those two headers but um but yeah you know they've got They've got a player playing out of her skin in in uh, in pop, and we've got the same with Beth, uh, with Beth Mead. So, um, yeah, I'm really nervous. Um, there's obviously this is a repeat of the 2009 final, which we lost six two. So, you know, that was the gap at that point in time. Um, but to win a tournament, you've got to beat the best teams, and apart from England, Germany have by far and away been the best team, which maybe we weren't expecting coming into the tournament because they've had kind of a, a couple of years where they've been rebuilding and um, sort of evolving it as a team. But um, yeah, we've beaten Spain, we've beaten Sweden, we've beaten Norway, all of which teams that were really well fancied and, and ranked quite highly coming into this. So I, I believe we can do it but that won't stop me um obsessing about this for the next two and a half days and being horrifically nervous on on uh, sunday morning travel down to wembley so um yeah it's uh, there's a lot of history there in in the men's game and the women's game and um i think everyone's going to be gripped to be honest and i would love for them to do it i would absolutely love for them to do it but i'm sure everyone will be really proud whatever happens just because of everything that's come out of this tournament this is Box to Box. We're talking to Nancy Frostick from The Athletic ahead of the Women's Euros final, England v Germany at Wembley. There'll be nearly 80,000 people there. It'll be a full house, the hottest ticket in town. So to do that and to, to conquer the all-conquering Germany eight times in a final, 
eight times they've won it. Germany just win finals in men's and women's football. We know that. So, as you said, to be the best, you've got to beat the best. And if England, after the disappointment of losing to Italy in that men's World Cup final, when there was just so much excitement and momentum around the country um, to, to actually get through this hurdle, uh, they will... Uh, rise to the pantheon of England's greatest sporting heroes of all time if they get to do it. Serena Wigan has not changed the starting lineup since the opening day. It, it would be uh, folly to suggest that she would, but uh, uh, the likes of Ellen White, uh, who who hasn't uh, uh, been as, as uh, prolific on the score sheet as we would have expected, do you think there's any way that Wigan would change the lineup and put Russo in, or if, if it's not broke, just don't fix it? I think she'll keep it the same. Um, we saw this with the when she was manager of the Netherlands in the last Euros. Um, typically, she will keep it the same unless something's not working. Um, I think she dropped her captain in in the last tournament for the Netherlands for um, one of the games. But I think she'll keep it the same. Um, Ellen White's not scored as many as she did, um, you know, at the last tournament. But the way that she's playing, she's offering something different. She will run them ragged and tie them out. And that's when Russo comes on with her energy. So I think that she'll keep it the same just because it's something that's pretty much worked um, up to now. And she is someone who favours stability in that way. And you mentioned Mary Earps. I heard uh, a great headline. I don't know what newspaper it was in, but uh, referring to Mary Earps as Mary Queen of Stops. Uh, <laughs> so uh, she's going to have to be the Queen of of Stoppers if she's going to uh, win the or help win the the, the, uh, the gold medal for uh, for England. We wish you all the best. Uh, it's going to be some kind of weekend over there. We'll be watching it uh, very early morning our time on Monday morning and. Uh, as we said last time you were on, Nancy, it, it, it sort of sticks in the craw a little to wish uh, an English team good luck, <laughs> but you sort of want to see the story end with a happy ending. So good luck. Thank you. Thanks. No worries. Nancy Frostick from The Athletic. Ahead of the Women's Euros, if uh, you haven't watched it so far and you're a football fan, well, do yourself a favour. It's not too late. Make sure you get up bright and early on Monday morning and watch the final. Okay, stick around next on Box to Box. Willem's back. We're going to talk Socceroos and Matildas after the break. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal. Yeah, this is Box to Box. It was great chatting to Nancy Frostick from The Athletic about the Women's Euros, the final this Sunday between England and Germany. Yeah, it just makes you feel like it would be so exciting to see Australia make a run at the World Cup next year and uh, get a bit of a taste of that excitement. Uh, we're going to talk more Matildas and Socceroos in a moment. But before we do, I want to talk about our good friends at Hoyts, who we just love. Uh, we're going to mention someone who is connected to the Hoyts family in the news in a moment with Willem. Uh, I'll leave that to him. But look for Hoyts at your most popular supermarket, your favourite supermarket. You'll find all your household herbs and spices at your supermarket. The whole black pepper, the four-colour peppercorn mix, oregano, mixed herbs, vanilla, sugar, sesame seeds, poppy seeds. And make sure if you've got some other uh, herbs and spices jars in your pantry and you've run out, then get on into Hoyt's. Buy the sachets, refill your empty spice jars, and you'll do it the value way. You'll be happy with Hoyt's at Coles, Woolworths, and all good independent supermarkets. Edge on making a spice rub of uh, lemon pepper with some chicken that I'm in a barbecue this evening with uh, some roast vegetables and a salad. Just changes the entire mood of the chicken um, when you're eating it. Um, I know uh, you are eating some spicy food over there in Thailand while you're away. Yeah, yeah, I love the spicy food, and I'm just wondering what the uh, good weather for a barbecue in Melbourne tonight, bro. <laughs> no, it's not raining. But see, you, mate, you've got to be an intrepid barbecue. You just uh, make sure you get out there with the umbrella. Put the beanie on, you, get the, <laughs> you put the jacket on, and away you go. It still, do, it still cooks. I know the barbecue works just as well in the uh, cold weather it does as in the uh, balmy Indian summer weather we get from time to time. Exactly, it does. All right, well, uh, Willem, um, you've got all of the news there and uh, you'll pull the threads together of the reference that I made uh, to Hoyts and one of the stories in uh, in your package. I will indeed, and that story is part of Socceroos and Matilda Central for the Green and Gold Army. It is time now, now, 
to book your place in the official Socceroos fan base in Doha ahead of the 2022 World Cup. Make sure you're in the stands as the boys beat France, Tunisia and Denmark. And of course, head to a training session, which might just be at the Aspire Academy. More on that later with Michael. Don't delay. Book today. GGAtravel.com.au. You speak, Rob, of the feats of the junior Matildas who are into the semifinals of the AFF Under-18 Women's Championship. They opened up with a 4-0 win over the Philippines. Nice to get one back on them and followed that up with an 8-0 hammering of Malaysia. I'll run through the goal scorers in both matches because all of these girls deserve their moment in the sun. Avani Prakash, India Briar, Maya Lobo, and then in the second, Jonty Fisher, Ella O'Grady, Daisy Brown, Sienna Saveska, Ella Abdul Massey. And Rob, I'll leave it to you to uh, congratulate uh, your family friend, part of, of course, the Hoyts family. Exactly. That's Isabella Ricardo who scored in the 45th minute. Uh, I know her mum and dad are over there in Indonesia uh, cheering her on. And, and just what an exciting time it is for uh, a family to see their young daughter, as it is for every one of the families of not only, of course, the uh, uh, the Australian uh, team, but um, but but every country, and it's uh, it's that breakthrough moment that um, that uh, they're, they're getting to see. So, congratulations to the Matildas. I know, um, you know, we uh, we were. Um, a little not fast about the, uh, the the previous AWF tournament where we sent an under twenty three squad and um, and and you know, underperformed quite rightly. The Philippines went on to win that tournament, but uh, I think uh, Edge, what we're seeing here is, uh, am I right in saying that um, that this next wave of talent coming through with the Matildas, which which had been seen as a concern in some areas, in so far as you know the the, the talent pool and the pathways is actually better than, than some thought? Oh, there's a couple of items to note. This team, the under-16s, uh, the uh, junior Matildas, is, of all the teams that are in the national... This, this is the under-18s under team. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, but they're, they're 16, 20, 17. So mm. <clears throat> for me, it's the um, this is the team that has not had an opportunity to play compared to the others. You know, they, they were in... They were moth for longer than any other of the national teams. So it's just fantastic to see them out playing again. And the other uh, item to, to consider is that um, these results are really consistent with this age group's results in previous events like this. The real test is when we play China, Japan and South Korea, who were not in this event, not in this event. They're, that's where we've fallen short. That's where we've copped in the past the seven and eight and nine nil drubbings where we've where this sort of elite pathway has been challenged and sort of, you know, the the the, the dune has been pulled off and how do we really uh, measure up against the, the countries that have um, more resources and, and better, deeper programs. So from that perspective, uh, that test is still to come for this group and we shouldn't lose sight that we're really tested against those nations and their programs. We should be beating uh, Myanmar and Malaysia and Indonesia with the sort of score lines we get because if we don't, we've got a problem. They've got a final group stage match, Rob, against Myanmar, but some frustration that uh, no one's picked up the broadcast right. So you'd hope, I mean, for the group stage, it's probably fair enough. But now that they are into a semi-final and final, there'd maybe be some hope that that can be rectified. Yeah, look, I did reach out to Football Australia just to inquire about that. I mean, we do recognise it's an under-18s tournament and we know that um, under-18s tournaments uh, generally don't make uh, prime-time sports. So, you know, that's to be acknowledged. I think the the, uh, the, the frustration that I have is that... Uh, um, whether it's FIFA or the the AWF or whoever is uh, is the um, the executive team involved in making decisions around the the commercial commercialization of these rights uh, should understand that it's not a lucrative uh, deal to be done for a broadcaster in Australia, let alone the other Asian nations. So uh, to withhold vision and footage of uh, of the event and tournament from from packages uh, uh, is really shooting themselves in the foot. I mean, if you look at Football Australia social media feeds and websites and the official ASEAN uh, website as well, you, you just won't find um, any substantial footage of note. Um, so, you know, I just feel like uh, that, that for a tournament of this nature, especially after the last couple of years that we've had, uh, um, yeah, they might um, not get the dollars. They might think that they're undervaluing their product and by, by even giving away highlights packages. But, you know, I'll finish the point by saying that even the Olympics for non-rights holders allows the non-rights holder to broadcast up to, I think it's a minute's footage every single day. So, you know, if it's good enough Olympics, I would have thought that it's good enough for an under-18s tournament. Good point you make, Rob. But I just want to um, counterbalance that by saying that AFF, we're not talking about the Asian Football Confederation here. We're talking about a subgroup 
the Southeast mm. Asian nations um, and their voluntary run. They don't really have an office. So there's uh, a lot of, um, I think there's a lot of slack that should be cut for, for this particular group of nations. We're talking about Indonesia, uh, Myanmar, those sort of um, emerging nations. And it's brilliant that Australia is supporting this event. But uh, let's cut them a little bit of slack. They've got a little bit of development behind the, they're behind the eight ball, put it that way, Rob. Yep, fair enough. You know more about these things than I do. I'd just like to be able to see some highlights packages, uh, even 30 seconds of them. Michael Excitement is building for Leah Blaney's side, the under-20 women's. They are in Mexico having a training camp before they go on to Costa Rica, where they're going to play the hosts in their group opener uh, this time next week. Yeah, it's a massive um, uh, build-up. They're at an altitude camp. They played a local club uh, and beat them 1-0 two days ago. And I think today they play... Mexico, and in a, in a few days' time, they play Colombia before they head to Costa Rica for what is going to be a baptism of fire. They play the host nation in the opening game. Uh, it's already sold out, 50,000-plus people. So that group of players are really fine-tuning their approach to um, it all. It's a whirlwind. They only found out they were going to participate when North Korea was suspended. So uh, they had a late call-up to this event. Um, they've had to get organised quickly. They've been in camps, they've been juggling school, university, uh, going up to uh, Canberra and, and Sydney for camps, and then uh, they obviously went on, went across to uh, Indonesia for the under twenty three AWF tournament, and now they're um, now they're uh, well and truly uh, in the final stretch, tapering towards what's going to be a, a massive experience for these these girls. They've obviously got the home nation opening the World Cup the Under-20 Women's World Cup in Costa Rica, and then they play just a couple other smaller com- combatants in the event, Brazil and Spain. So uh, good luck to the girls. Uh, we know they're um, they're going well. Um, they've had an incredible um, uh, lead into it, and uh, we know that they'll take uh, the best wishes and uh, goodwill from everybody in the football community because uh, they're, they're in for a They've got a mountain to climb, Rob, this group. Uh, No doubt about it. They've got a mountain to climb. Yep, agreed. They do, and well said. uh, But uh, I guess it's the nature of sport emerging from these last couple of years. And, uh, you know, I mean, to reference something you said earlier, cutting, you know, teams some slack uh, is is probably uh, the way to go. Quick, we've a round of some of our senior international footballers and how they're going at club level. Jackson Irvine's made it two goals in two for St. Pauli. He rescued a late point away from home against Hanover. Connor Metcalf is on the pitch for the celebrations as well, having come off the bench for his debut with 15 minutes to go. Also on the score sheet this week was Mitch Duke, who helped Okayama stay in the J2's top five with a goal and an assist in a two-all draw. Uh, Kevin Musket watched just a short one this week. They play Kashima, uh, second-place Kashima, that is, on Saturday. So that's a big chance for them to either retain or even extend their current five-point lead. And Jason Davidson's made his debut for Belgian side KAS Eupen off the bench on the opening day of the season. From a Matilda standpoint, Lydia Williams has secured that one-year deal we spoke about last week with PSG. At 34, she said she's hungry for silverware. We know it's a bit of a two-horse race with Lyon there in France. So all the best to Lydia. Let's hope she can crack in and grab the number one keeping gloves. Rob, just a short little wrap-up this week. This time next week, we're going to have stacks of Aussies to cover off on because the Scottish Premiership will have started. There's eight or nine or 10 or even 11 uh, Aussies and Socceroos hopefuls ahead of the World Cup that are going to be taking part in that competition. So welcome in Jordan Campbell and get into the nuts and bolts of it. Yeah, absolutely, Jordan Campbell. Uh, he normally covers the Rangers beat, but uh, uh, as we have done over the past, uh, well, not quite 12 months, talking to Kieran Devlin, his colleague, uh, on the Celtic beat, but... Uh, not only do we want to look at uh, the the title defence of, of Celtic, but more broadly, as you say, well, and we want to look at uh, you know just this influx of of Australia to particularly Socceroo contenders for for Qatar and uh, and how it's being received in uh, in Scotland and uh, and what we can expect. So, as you say, we've got Jordan Campbell. Stick around. He's next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box. Now, Australian football fans in the past football season in the continent were watching very closely as Ange Postacoglu's Celtic uh, took all before them and won the title. But this season, football fans in Australia are watching the Scottish Premiership for very different reasons. Of course, they're interested in how Celtic go, and in particular, Ange Postacoglu. But 
with the amount of Socceroo candidates lining up in the Scottish Premiership this coming season, uh, it uh, will be uh, fascinating to watch just who the form players are throughout the course of the season. And no man knows that competition better than from the Athletic himself, Jordan Campbell. Welcome back to the show, Jordan. How are you, mate? Yeah, I'm good, mate. Thanks for having me on. No, not at all. Now, is this something that's 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 getting any traction in Scotland? Uh, the the amount of Australians that that, that have, have joined the competition, uh, I, I imagine you'd have to say, in the wake of the success of of Postacoglu. But uh, is this becoming a storyline at all locally? Yeah, no, I think it is. It's definitely something um, that people are noticing. I, I think you would struggle not to <laughs> not to notice it. Um, every every corner you turn, you hear an Aussie in Scotland now. So um, that's, I think it's um, it's becoming a big thing, especially this summer. You know, you look at Hibs yesterday um, made another sign from Australia with over fifty caps. So um, Hearts, I think, have been the trailblazers on on this on on this market. Um, if you want to look outside, and Foster Coglu, who's obviously um, from Australia and has experience and knowledge of the of that um, market, I think if you look at the other teams, Hearts have really have really delved into that market. Where you know Cammy Devlin, um, you know Nathaniel Atkinson, uh, Kai Rowles now. So there's a few there, um, but I think this is all linked to Brexit, um, Rob. This is. This is the last couple of years. Scottish teams knew that, um, well, they thought they were going to struggle to bring in players from uh, the EU, and so we'd have to look for their field. But um, obviously, with Brexit, you know, the the immigration status, you you're going to have to to reach 15 points, and to reach 15 points, you really need to be playing in the top five league, or in Europe, or you need to be a full international. So, you know, with the budget, Scottish teams are operating at they really aren't attracting that level of player unless you're Celtic or Rangers. So, um, Hearts, for example, I don't think, you know, they've really got nearly 15 points on those their signings. But, um, you know, while, while some, some teams are, are waiting three or four weeks for any sort of non, non-UK player to be registered, it's, it's become a real problem. The, the amount of time and the backlog there is with the immigration, um, it's taken up to a month sometimes for players to to sign Hearts have got actually got like a hundred page document um, where they submit it and it's helped sort of fast track the process so um, no I think they, they definitely appreciate the market now in, in Australia and in Asia um, and I think Australia you know beyond the sort of Jap- Japanese market it, it's got the added bonus of being a sort of similar culture speaking English you know um, so I think that's why people are tapping into it but it's probably long overdue, I'd say, um, but it's good to see. Aziz Bech has spent nine of the past ten seasons in the Turkish Super League. Um, what do you think about his transfer across to Dundee United? Has there been many players um, that have you know, spent so long in the Turkish Super League go across to um, the SPL and have they been successful? Well, I mean, Rangers have just signed um, um, Red Van Yilmaz from Besiktas, but He's obviously a younger player at, at 21. Um, can't think of too many who, who came straight from Turkey to the Rangers without maybe making a detour through um, England before. But you know, I think if you look at his CV, it's a, it's a bit of a coup for Dundee United. Um, but I think you're seeing this a lot more. You know, Dundee United looking further afield. Aberdeen have really gone um, have gone foreign heavy in their recruitment. Um, Hibs have really expanded the horizons as well with some of their signings. So, uh, oh, you know, I think young Scottish players might have something else to say about it, but I think it's quite refreshing to see Scottish teams look out with England because for so long they've been um, they've been signing players from League One and League Two, National League in England on free transfers, and it's lacked a lot of imagination. Um, but I think now the wages in England are becoming so high that. It's a struggle for them to mark to fish in that market anymore. So I think that's why you're then um, seeing them expand um, the horizons a bit more because also English clubs are going to struggle to sign them for abroad as well. So they maybe think they'll get more of an advantage if, if they can make a greater appeal to the home office than an English team could. So you know, I've, I, I don't, I've not seen too much of um, too much of him himself, but just looking at his um, his. Uh, 
his CV himself, you know, over 50 caps. That's that's going to be a great signing for Jack Ross, who's who's obviously trying to to rebuild the um to, to rebuild Dundee United. They've not done too much um too much work this summer, but um you know they've lost lost the head coach, um, they lost Seagrest, the their um the goalkeeper, they lost Lewis Nielsen to Hearts as well. So um they've got a few a few spaces to fill. Um so I think he'll be an important one in that, that process. Well you mentioned Hearts in the answer previously. There's a player that's just joined Hearts, Kai Rolls, who made his debut for the Socceroos in an epic uh, uh, Asian uh, Football Confederation World Cup playoff and then uh, backed it up uh, six days later and performed very well in the Intercontinental playoff against Peru. It comes to Hearts with a with a sort of under-the-profile type approach, but he made such a big impression uh, at his club in the A-League in Australia and then um, to just be just be acquit, acquit himself so well in two incredibly high-pressure events like uh, Intercontinental playoffs. I mean, um, that type of a player that's coming from Australia into Scotland, you know, um, I mean, what sort of um, profile and impact is is that type of recruit having in the SPL? Well, I mean, until uh, until he's obviously proven that he can he can transfer his, his form from the league, you know, I don't doubt that you guys have watched him a lot, and um, he's probably been impressive, and that's obviously why Hearts have signed them. But you know, Robbie Nielsen was saying when he when he signed them that he's recruited them as a um, either to play in the left of a back three or to play as the left centre back in a back four. So I think he's been signed with versatility in mind, but. Um, you know they lost John Shooter to Rangers, um, so there's there's a there's a gap there to be filled in the defence. So I think someday at 24, you know who's been an outstanding performer in the league, um, you know I think that's that's the sort of profile that Hearts are looking for now, um, is to bring in players from perhaps undervalued markets, um, you know keep them for a couple of years, and if it goes really well, then you can sell them on for a profit. Um, and I'm sure they'll be back <laughs> not run the door again at the A-League if it's going well um, uh, but no I think um, I, I think it'll be interesting to see because you know Hearts are quite strong in that position of Rook Kingsley there um, who, who's, a, who's one of the leaders of that team and you know who's been you know tipped for a Scotland call up so I think it'll be interesting as long as the season goes on whether he plays in the middle of the back three or whether he plays in the left hand side or whether Hearts switch to back four, um, or, or whether they, they, they chop and change. So, um, no, I, I think he's, um, I think he'll play plenty. Um, I guess it's just a case of him um, adapting to the intensity of Scottish football. Because I think that's the one thing that a lot of people say is that is a difference to any league. Um, you know, not just Australia. You know, James Sands who came through the M- MLS. He he says, you know, the intensity is the big thing to get used to. So. Sometimes it can take a few months to to, to really settle in and understand really, what it's about. Yeah. But um, you know, but I, I think um, you know, you look at Atkinson's been um, settled in really well, and Tammy Devlin looks like he was he was sort of made for for Scottish football. Um, I know another club actually tried to get him before um, Hearts in Scotland, but um, yeah, he he just looks like he he was born to play in Scotland with that sort of. You know, Rottweiler attitude and always kicking the, kicking everybody's heels, never gives them a minute of peace. So, um, no, I think um, he's made a great impression. For all the Rangers fans in Australia, which there are many, tell us uh, what sort of response to last season has the club undertaken? Um, can you give us a bit of an outlook for Rangers as they prepare uh, to um, to climb the mountain once more? I mean, what can Rangers fans in Australia expect? Other than the continued deluge of Celtic content because of our Australian content <laughs> over there, what can you tell us? Uh, what, what, what can you give to the Rangers fans in Australia that are looking for something to hang on to? Well, I don't, I don't know if they'll be emigrating back to Scotland with the amount of coverage there is a, a post Cogley, but um, no, I think um, I, I think this transfer window for Rangers has, has been one that's been on the horizon for a few years. Um, you know, it's been expected that they were going to sell the top players for. Yeah, for two or three years now, and they've, they've always kept a hold of them. But you know, this is the one where they've they've had to transition, they've had to refresh the squad. So, Barty and Aribo have gone out for well, you know, over twenty six million guaranteed. Probably going to be over thirty million um, in the next few years. So, there's there's money there to play with, um, and I think they were always going to need to sell a big player 
if they really wanted to replenish the squad. So seven new signings. Um, you know, you've got two new defenders, Ben Davies and John Shooter. You've got a really exciting profile, Neil Maz at left back, who um, I think Rangers are hoping will be an upgrade on on Barisic. Um, but he's a sort of level of, level of profile that where a Turkish league winners medal under his belt, Champions League experience, six cups for Turkey. You know, that's a really top profile um, to be signing at 21. And then you get Tom Lawrence, Rabbi Matondo and, and Kolak up front. So they've added in all different departments, really. Um, I think the big question is, is there enough goals in the team? That's always the, the question because, you know, Ruth really struggles with his fitness and um, Hadji's out just now as well. So you're really relying on Kent, uh, Ryan Kent improving his numbers, you're relying on Matondo um, doing what he did last year in Belgium. So and you're relying on Morelos coming back from injury and, and being um, as good as he was under Van Bronckhorst. So I think there's a bit of excitement for the Rangers fans because it is a new team to a certain degree. Um, you know, the bulk of the squad's been together for four years now, but it did need freshening up, and I think that's what's happened. So Van Bronckhorst has had his first full pre-season in charge, and I, I think you'll see a, another sort of gradual evolution towards his style of football, which will be a bit more direct, a bit freer. Um, and you know, I think I, I think if he can, if he's happy with his squad, then because um, I think stylistically the seven signers all they all tick the box and how his players um, and characteristics for each role differ to, to what Gerard would have been. Um, you know, Tom Lawrence is a direct runner who who gets goals for number ten. Matondo's like a throwback winger. Yilmaz is really direct as well. So I think you can see in the recruitment that this is now going to be. Van Bronco's team and it's going to be his stamp on it all over the pitch so um, yeah I think um, I think there should be there should be some excitement but obviously Celtic looks strong as well and that group will be you know will be more united now that they've they've had a, a season together so um, no, I think it's got the, the makings of a really exciting title race. Yeah, it sure does, uh, Jordan. Uh, the uh, heroics of the Stephen Gerrard season were always going to be a hard act to follow. Mate, uh, we'll be in touch. We'll be watching closely, uh, obviously, uh, from the Australian point of view uh, as the World Cup nears, but also uh, from the, the title race uh, point of view as to, to how uh, both the, the mega clubs go and, and uh, the, the next tier clubs down who uh, who uh, will um, be looking to provide uh, you know the usual stiff competition in, in the Scottish Premiership. Jordan, thanks again for your time. Thank you. Jordan Campbell from The Athletic. Okay, stick around. Stoppage time next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box. This is Stoppage Time. Great chatting to Jordan Campbell there. Uh, if you do have Foxtel, you'll be able to watch the Scottish Premiership on B in Sports and uh, follow the... Uh, Efforts of our Australian boys in the up to the World Cup and, and just see how Ange's men, as the guys uh, down at Celtic, go in defending their title. But, um, Willem, there is another big competition that kicks off this weekend that's sort of uh, been uh, uh, left... Um, to uh, to just pick up the, uh, uh, the the coverage where it possibly can in the in the, the the wake of the women's Euros and that's of course the uh, the, the championship one of our favourite competitions on this show. Yes, the championship. Our good friend Dean Hennessy's favourite. It feels like it of all sports leagues in the world is just the perennial league that is just forever rolling along in the background. Uh, and we know that of course as always three clubs that are down that are feasting on those tasty parachute payments, hoping that they can bounce back up. The first of those is Burnley, who are going to be back in the twos after this six-year spell in the Premier League. They've got Huddersfield first up, who fell just short of promotion last year. Norwich as well, who have been the yo-yo club of the, the Premier League and the Championship for years and years and years. Uh, they've got Cardiff City first up and Watford, who have similarly spent plenty of time in the ones and the twos. They've got Sheffield United. Michael, you are always keeping an eye on the Blue Noses. Birmingham, club of our good friend Rob Tanner. They are playing first up Luton Town away, so you'd hope that they could bank three points there as they look to move into their new era under their new ownership and uh, some uh, some brighter skies ahead. Let's hope so. Um, yeah, the Blue Noses, I love uh, just to see how they're going. Uh, they're a massive club, Birmingham City, and uh, we want to see them play in Aston Villa regularly in the Premier League. Let's hope at some point in their future. 
Um, what about Bailey Wright at Sunderland? Where do, who do they who have they got round one? They've got Coventry round one. They are of course coming up from League Two. One of my favourite box to box memories uh, was peak first lockdown, middle of winter 2020, and we were at was it Real Image Solutions, Rob? And we had Bailey on, and he'd just gone to Sunderland. Uh, they were down in Div Two. Everyone was watching Sunderland until I die on Netflix in lockdown. And he said, "I'm really, you know, we're." we're down on our knees, but I'm really proud of this club and I'm desperate to contribute in some way and to get them up. And it's taken him probably a couple of years longer than he would have liked, but he's still there, captained them, saw promotion, and now they're back up in the championship, one step closer to where a club of that stature belongs. So they've got uh, Coventry first up and Bailey, of course, is right in the frame to head to a second World Cup. It's so exciting, isn't it, that um, that you, know, you don't have to support Sunderland and there's plenty of t- people, particularly on the uh, the other side of the Tynemuir Derby in Newcastle who uh, absolutely hate the denizens of the stadium of light. But one thing you do have to acknowledge is that, uh, that they're a, a club who has created uh, an international impression far greater than uh, um, than than most other clubs uh, of, of their stature and um, and the passion that uh, that they support their club uh, is just representative of course of so many other clubs but uh, but that storyline I, I think um, the, the, if uh, Netflix have uh, have uh, put the queue in the rack on uh, on Sunderland until I die for the time being uh, I suspect there might be some cameras following them around for uh, the redux uh, uh, by the time they're uh, they're uh, um, contending to to go back up to the top flight uh, and, and just great to see that Bailey Wright's there and and exactly the sort of uh, competition level we need for for our players uh, there, there's you know obviously you know a real dearth of players in in the top flight competitions uh, in this modern era it's uh, it's not a golden age but we're you know really uh, uh, punching above our weight uh, but we need these uh, uh, players of ours you know hardened by the you know the the, the sharp edge of competition and uh, and for a team like Sunderland who who are, you know, obviously now in that position to, to have a uh, a, comp- a season that, that that puts him in contention to go back up means that he's going to be uh, probably one of the most important players in in that squad uh, of Socceroos that's uh, that's preparing for Qatar. I spoke about this uh, after Australia qualified for the in the playoffs that uh, you know Bailey Wright hadn't been involved in the in the campaign in to any great degree, but um, when Sainsbury was injured, no Harry Suter. Uh, Degenic out of form, you know, uh, Arnold turned to Bailey Wright. He came in and performed admirably across both uh, of those playoff games. And um, I just saw him up at close quarters and just saw um, how significant uh, lead is. Uh, and uh, everybody that I, I've met who spoke about Bailey Wright, who knows him well, just glowingly talks about just uh, what a great character is. There's no surprise, is there, with him that uh, he's had leadership uh, duties at Bristol and um, uh, who, who had a fantastic uh, run when he was playing there. And, and there's no surprise to me that uh, his leadership's been a big part of Sunderland returning to the championship. So uh, Bailey Wright, a big shout out to one of our one of my favourite Socceroos. Beautifully said. Riley McGree, another Socceroo firmly in the frame for World Cup selection, if you can hit the ground running with Middlesbrough. They've got West Brom first up under Chris Wilder. Uh, they were also probably pushing right for promotion until the wheels fell off at the very back end. But big season here for Riley. Michael, his first full season with the club having turned down uh, having turned down Ange and Celtic, which is a big decision. It did start to bear fruit, it seemed. There was a couple of injuries, but also a couple of goals in there as well. So uh, a full campaign in his career could finally sort of start to hit the heights that we've known for a long, long time that he could. He's a look, hugely important player. We know he's had a great grounding in the A-League. He was a, a big part of the Oli Roos uh, campaign. Um, he's now sort of making that transition. Uh, but the big question mark for him is that uh, Graham Arnold chose Aidan Rustic over him. He has to uh, lift his game and be a real competitor for that number 10 position, especially if Tom Rogic is not going to figure in any of the World Cup uh, activities. So at the moment, uh, he's behind Aidan Rustic. And uh, he needs to get in front of him. He needs to have a big, big campaign at Middlesbrough and can keep improving. We know he's got the talent. We know he's got the ability. Um, it's now up to it's now up to Riley to prove that uh, he can reach the potential that uh, so many people think he has. And to round out on the Aussies. Kenny Dougal's going to have another season at Blackpool. And Tyrese Francois signed a long-term deal to stay with Fulham. So he's been in and out of their reserves. A couple of uh, matches in the senior side early last season. But yeah, signed a, a deal till 2024. So they wouldn't be doing that if they didn't see him as a future first-team player. Let's move on. The Socceroos, along with all uh, World Cup attending 
squads this week have announced where they're going to be staying in Qatar. And for Australia, Edge, it's the Aspire Academy, where Tim Cahill is a chief sports officer. Funnily enough, uh, Australia is going to be one of 10 nations staying within a 10-kilometre radius of each other, which makes this the most condensed edition of the tournament since Uruguay 1930. Have you had a chance to get to the Aspire Academy and scope it out? I have, uh, Willem. It's funny you ask that. I did have an opportunity. Tim took me through it. It is a, a very, very special facility. It's the um, the spiritual home of uh, the Qatari uh, State Corporation, which owns those clubs that we talk about often, PSG in particular. Um, but, you know, Tim's um, the number two man there. He uh, he wields a, a big shadow and uh, he, he's an extremely powerful leader in that organisation. So I'm not surprised Tim was able to usher uh, the Australians through a crowded list of people that wanted to stay at the Aspire Academy. Uh, I know there's been some media coverage back in Australia saying that we're the, the Socceroos are staying in uh, student accommodation. <laughs> I, I wouldn't well, uh, classify it as student accommodation, Rob. But it, it's, it's, uh, the, the point, though, was, I mean, as you said when you saw the uh, the headlines, uh, that uh, it, it was a beat-up. But uh, the, the way that some of the articles were written, they were prefaced by saying the Americans are staying on a man-made island resort whose best suites cost Sixteen thousand five hundred a night, and come with a huge jacuzzi and a twenty-four hour butler. Belgium have chosen a billionaire's playground featuring a water park with fifty-six rides, 56. an exclusive exclusive three point five kilometer beach, and a desert go kart track. Germany are in a secluded wellness spa with a Himalayan salt cave and a range of health treatments such as. How about this? Have you ever had a psychoenergetic massage? No, I have not. What is that, no. Rob? I have no idea, Edge, but uh, I, I think I'd prefer our boys um, to be at the Aspire Academy actually prefer, preparing to play a, uh, a proper football tournament. Um, and if you jump online, I mean, the website has got it all. It's, it's all there. I mean, you, you can find anything in two seconds on, online these days. So just check out the Aspire Academy website. It, uh, if, if you're thinking that this is a second-class uh, uh, setup, then, uh, mate, you are sorely mistaken. Did you catch and that little just- name drop? Been there, Rob. Have you been to the Aspire Academy Edge? Yeah, Tim took me through it. Yeah, yeah, I did. I know. I, 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 there was one time recently, I'm going to throw Edge under the bus here. He was talking to me. He said, yeah, Tim told me this. One. And I, he keeps going on. I said, what, what, who's Tim? And he goes, well, Tim Cale, my best mate. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, having said all of that, uh, just quietly, one of the great advantages of Australia um, uh, residing at the Aspire Academy is that the only time they need to get into a bus is uh, when they're off, when they're heading out to play a match at Algernon Stadium. Um, otherwise, they uh, you know they can walk from their accommodation to their training fields to rehab to um, the recovery sessions. Uh, so it is an absolutely ideal situation. They are the only team at the World Cup that doesn't need to get into a bus to go and do rehab or train. And I think that is something uh, that we should say thank you to Mr Cahill. Or are you sure, Michael? Because Belgium have a, a private three and a half kilometre beach. <laughs> well, they'll be able to do the coverage there. <laughs> Just before they go to the go kart. Uh, that seems like a real waste—a fifty-six ride water park, but you're playing at a World Cup, and the one time you're not allowed to get on it. Um, moving on, Football Australia this week—it's a bit of a sad story. It's—it's it's a bit of an ugly one, but we'll wade through it as best we can. Rob, uh, they've welcomed the players that took the field in the 1975 AFC Women's Championships into the football family, but they've stopped short of recognising them as. Australian representatives or official Matildas, if you like, they contend, this is the Federation, that there wasn't a competitive process to select the team uh, and that the trip was open to all female players and self-funded with a majority of those players coming from St. George Budapest. The players on the other side of the fence uh, are seeking recognition as the first Matildas, argue that the team was sanctioned by the Australian Soccer Federation or was legitimate uh, and that members of the other five competing sides have been granted full recognition over the years. Just three members of that 75 team went to cap as official Matildas uh, in 1979 when that process commenced, Kim Coates, Julie Dolan and Cindy Hayden. So a story that's been lingering uh, in some capacity for over 50 years, Rob, this week uh, came to the fore uh, once again and doesn't really look any closer to resolution. Yeah, it, it doesn't, does it? it? There was this article in, in the Australian, Selena Steele wrote it on the weekend and uh, uh, it goes into quite a lot of detail, some you know historical uh, images that that looked like they would have been sitting in, a, you know, a collection of of the, the women who played in the in the team that uh, that, that that's nicknamed the the seventy fivers. Uh, the you know, there's, there's there's arguments either side, as you say, and uh, it's unfortunate that the um, that the squad who represented Australia in in nineteen seventy five. Uh, 
I, I just make my own judgment call from having read this article and, and not knowing a lot more or any more about it, to be perfectly frank, and think that, um, you know, if you if you compare this squad to, say, the the Aboriginal side who represented Australia um, back in the late 19th century before an official Australian team uh, was was uh, sent to England to play cricket. Uh, um, you know, th there are contrasts there because, you know, they, they, they represented the nation. They, they were selected under the, uh, the uh, auspices of the official organisation at the time insofar as the, the, um, the, the women's team of 1975 are concerned. So, you know, you, you can you can 100% see their point, um, but uh, it doesn't look like it's going to be resolved anytime soon. You know a little bit more about this, Edge? All I know is that there's a great momentum behind women's football at the moment and a unifying momentum which we need to continue to crank along. And um, there is, uh, as you rightly say, Rob, there's arguments on both sides of this fence. And um, I'm going to take the gamer pile position of sitting well and truly on the fence and wow. have no comment one way or the other. Wow, that's rare for you. It is rare for me. But I'll tell you what, um, I just don't think, uh, you know, uh, women's the, the advancement of women's football is um, not um, enhanced by this debate. Uh, you know, I just think these people need to get in a room and Football Australia needs to try and, uh, get a resolution to it so everybody's happy. Uh, they've probably done that, but it sounds like it's not resolved with them. No, it doesn't. To close, I want to take you guys through a story that is downright bizarre, possibly as bizarre as the story that took place in Sierra Leone a couple of weeks ago where sides were scoring 95 goals in a match. This one has happened right in our own backyard and it concerns our Victorian NPL. Oakley Cannons have been crowned the men's NPL champions for 2021 after Avondale, Avondale lost to Port Melbourne on Tuesday night. Now, as we know, last year when the Delta wave, the Delta strain of COVID came through Australia, Avondale was hitting seven points clear of the table. The Football Victoria called the season off. Avondale took them to court and said that they should have been uh, deemed that they had an unassailable lead. Uh, what was reached in uh, in consultation with all parties was what was called a one-off solution. Results of games from this season, 2022, when that corresponding fixture hadn't been played last year, would also go back and count towards the 2021 campaign. So that is obviously quite difficult to follow. The result is that uh, with three rounds to go of the 2022 season, uh, the 2021 season has been concluded. So six-point games, Michael, two seasons going on at once. Uh, that is quite odd. And certainly, in the words of Football Victoria, bespoke. Kim on Taliadoris. I mean, what sort of show are you running down there? I mean... Seriously. It's now Antonella Care, is it not? Well, well, you, you say that, but Kim on gone from Predo, he still runs a joint. I don't know. I look, I, I just give up. I mean, I just give up. I, I have no words to that other than to say what if is going on down there. I mean, really, matches from this year counting to last year's title. Does that pass the hub test? I don't know that I've ever heard of that before. Um, I, I, it just does sound like a whole bunch of uh, gobbledygook speak, and uh, I don't think that anyone on this show. Uh, and what's Avondale taking the Federation to court for calling a season off during a pandemic? Uh, in the really. context of a football competition, then you know you're starting to wander into uh, never before seen territory. So uh, I think hey, Rob, right, uh, what they always sorry, I've just been talking over you. Rob. Doesn't seem to make um, any sense to any of us. Bad boy, anyway, Avondale fan, Rob. Yeah, it is. Well, before we go, gentlemen, I want to uh, just give a shout out to a place that it's always a good week to be at, and that is our friends at Chemist Warehouse. Because right now at Chemist Warehouse, you can get your OptiSlim VLCD Platinum Plus chocolate or vanilla, 18 sachets for $48.99. I think I've got five kilos I want to get rid of. I might be getting down to Chemist Warehouse to get some of the OptiSlim. The naturopathic, a fat blaster, Platinum Plus Thermo Burn, 40 capsules for $19.99. Even the name of that sounds like it works. And Masashi Shred and Burn, two kilograms for just $52.79. Remember, in addition to visiting your local chemist warehouse store, you can click and collect to save time, order online for delivery by Australia Post, and get free shipping on orders over $50. Or call your local store and ask for same day home delivery. Terms and conditions and charges may apply. Chemist Warehouse, the great savings are every single day. So, well, let me get it down there and get your protein. And um, and build up um, for uh, the uh, the finals of uh, of your football competition, which is just around the corner. Uh, just around the corner, and then summer's around the corner, Rob. So the shred and burn sounds good.
It does. It does. Well, thank you for uh, sitting in the chair, stepping up in the absence of our uh, our good friend Derek, who was off there uh, shredding the powder at Mount Buller. No, no dramas at all. Look forward to seeing the results. Derek, upon your return. Thank you for joining us again. Please subscribe to Box to Box wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook. And join us next week when we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the World Game.